0: as I've already said, it's no surprise to God. He's in absolute control. It's not an afterthought. It's God's final act with the ten plagues. Then in chapter 12, we jump the first 28 verses to 29 and get the event itself. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, the firstborn of Pharaoh, and so on and so on. And verse 30, Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt. Just as God said it would happen, it happened. And what was heard during the night? Loud wailing just as God had said it would happen. It's a shocking picture. And we should be shocked by what we read in these verses. But it wasn't an accident. It wasn't coincidence. God caused it to happen as he acted in judgment. Throughout our studies in Exodus, we've seen the character of God. We've seen his patience, especially in these nine plagues. But what we've also seen is God's holiness. We saw it at the burning bush. This God is a God who hates Sin. He's a God who is holy. He can't stand the sight of sin. sin. We've seen that He is just, that He's right. And that He will judge man's sin. And He will do it justly. That's what we see in this final play. God is the mighty judge who will judge man's sin and rebellion. Verse 12 of chapter 12 on that same night i will pass through egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals and i will bring judgment on all the gods of egypt i am the lord the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are and i uh, when i see the blood i will pass over you no destruct- destructive plague will touch you when i strike egypt who is the one acting who is the one bringing this judgement it's God on that same night I will pass through Egypt and I will bring judgement no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt it's God who is acting he's the only one who will judge because he's the only one who is righteous and holy and able to to do so. He's the one punishing Egypt for their sin. And this should help us to see how serious sin is. See how serious God takes sin. And it's something, God's judgement, that people don't really want to think about. People don't want to think about a God who would strike down the firstborn. We don't want to think of a God like this. A God who will judge people's sin? How could someone who is love bring such terrible judgment on people? Well, God is a God of love and we'll see that in a moment. But he's holy. He's righteous. And he hates sin. And he will judge justly This 10th plague is a terrible event. But there's a more terrible event to happen. This is nothing compared to how terrible hell will be. A couple of verses from Matthew. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels they will throw them into the blazing furnace where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth because judgment seen in this chapter of Exodus is terrible, it's horrible but it's nothing compared to hell because judgment is just and fair because of who he is And we read in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. That's what sin brings, death. But then we have that great word, a three-letter word, but. And that's what we're going to see in my second point, the slain lamb. We've got the just judge. And then we've got the slain lamb. As you read chapter 12, you could get the impression that God is a God who shows favoritism to certain people. He saved the Jewish firstborn sons, yet struck down the Egyptian firstborn sons. How is that fair? Well, God's people, the Jews, their firstborns don't escape because they're Jews, because they're God's people. God isn't a God who shows favoritism. We've seen in the previous um, nine plagues how Israel watched from the safety of Goshen as the plagues fell on Egypt. And they learned at that point that they were God's special people. But this time, in this 10th plague, in this 12th chapter of Exodus, although they are God's chosen people, they're people just like any other people and are guilty of sin, just as the Egyptians are. We know that from Romans 3.23, where it says, all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. All people, and the Jews, just as much as the Egyptians, are under the same judgment. And therefore firstborn sons would die too, apart from The provision that God makes. He gives them a way of escape. And this is something that we all need to hear and be reminded of. Until we see that we're guilty before God and the judgment that comes before that, until we hear that terrible news, we'll never see the need for salvation. We'll never see why Jesus is good news. That's why in our evangelism, it's great that we tell people about Jesus. But we should be people who are telling them why they need Jesus. Because we stand condemned before God because of sin. Well, we see what the provision is in verse 3. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. The provision that God provides is a lamb. And it's not just any old lamb. It's a lamb that has to be perfect. It had to be a lamb without blemish. A one-year-old male, they were to take care of it. For four days, they were brought into the house and cared for it. For four days. Then they were to slaughter the lamb at twilight, which was about three o'clock in the afternoon. They were to take the blood and then put it on the doorframe. And this was the absolute vital step to take. Why? Well, because of verse 13. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And then again in verse 23, when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter the house and strike you down. When God sees the blood on the doorframe, he will pass over that house. They need to kill the lamb, they need to slaughter the lamb, but they also need to sprinkle its blood on the door. And when they did that, God would spur them This lamb was a substitute for the firstborn son. And by putting the blood around the door frame, it was an act of faith faith on the part of his people. They were trusting that. When they did that, the blood would cover them. And we read in Hebrews 9.22, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. why a lamb? Why did the lamb have to die? Verse 27 It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. It's because the lamb was a sacrifice to God. He's providing a way for his chosen people to avoid the judgment they deserve through the sacrificial lamb. The lamb died so the firstborn son could live. And What a night that must have been. You've had this lamb for four days. There's no doubt the children would have taken it on as a pet. There would have been love between the child and the pet as there is when they have pets. And then the time comes where this lamb needs to be slaughtered. And the children are asking, why? It's so that you can live. That's why the lamb was sacrificed. It must have been a horrific experience, a horrific night. For me, being a firstborn son, there's no doubt I would have been checking the door every half an hour just to make sure the blood is definitely on the door. What we see in this chapter is on the one hand God's judgment, but on the other, great salvation. And finally, verse 31, we see the people are freed. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go worship the Lord as you have requested. And they went, they left Egypt, they went with silver and gold and clothing. It's a wonderful rescue. And who's done the rescuing? It's God. God was in control all the way through. Because the lamb died, the firstborn son could live. And the Israelites go free. And we've seen this picture of a sacrificial lamb throughout The Bible, we've seen it before this with Abraham, when God provided a lamb in place of his son. That time it was one lamb for one person. Here, it's a lamb for a household. The firstborn doesn't die because the lamb has taken his place and the Lord passed over that household. Then we see God providing... A sacrifice for the whole nation on the Day of Atonement, which we read about in Leviticus. And then finally we see God provide a sacrificial lamb for the world. What did John say when he saw Jesus? Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was God's plan all along. These Old Testament substitutes... This picture of the Lamb was just a shadow of what was to come. Jesus, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And I'm sure you would have seen all the references to Jesus within this passage. It just stands out that this is a picture of Jesus. John, in chapter 19 of his Gospel, just before Jesus was crucified, reminds us of the day that he was crucified on. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. He's pointing out that Jesus died on the day of preparation of the Passover week. And it was at that very time that the lamb was sacrificed in Exodus. That's not a coincidence that that's happening at that specific time. And later on, after Jesus has hung on the cross and died, we read about how the other two's legs were broken, yet no bone on Jesus' body was broken. And we didn't read it, but at the end of chapter 12, in verse 46 of Exodus, it says this it must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meat outside the house, do not break any of the bones. There's no doubt that when we're reading this description of the lamb that they needed, in Exodus 12, is a picture, is a shadow of what's to come, Jesus, the lamb of God. And if we're in any doubt about that, Paul is directing what he says in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. What's happening in Exodus 12 is a picture of what Jesus did on the cross. And it's not enough that Jesus it's not enough that just because Jesus died, God will pass over us. It's not an automatic thing. Just as the Israelites put their faith in the blood of the Lamb that they put on the doorpost, we too need to put our faith and trust in the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God. Trusting that through his death that we are forgiven. It's an amazing picture that we have of this Passover lamb in Exodus 12 pointing us to Jesus, God's perfect lamb. And the animal lamb was never enough because we're people and it needed to be someone like us just as Jesus was like us so that we could be forgiven. It's an amazing picture. And the final thing that I want us to see Tonight, the third point is never forget. A church historian described the Christian life as a combination of amnesia and deja vu. He says, I know I've forgotten this before. And it's so true, isn't it? The amount of times that I've been reading or listening or watching something, oh, yeah. It brings it back to, to my memory. We're so forgetful as Christians. And as Christ followers, we need to learn the same lessons over and over again because we keep forgetting them. And what God did for His people on that Passover night in Exodus 12 was never to be forgotten. Three times it's mentioned. I don't know if you noticed that. First of all, in verse 14, This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate, for the generations to come, you shall celebrate as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Then in verse 17, Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, because it was on this day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Then in verse 24, Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance ordinance for you and your descendants. God wants his people to never forget what he's done for them. So what does he give them to remember? Well he gives them the Passover, the lamb. Once they enter the land they are to observe the ceremony. Verse 25, when you enter the land That the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. It was to be an annual event to remind them of what God did when he brought them out of Egypt. It was to be passed on. Verse 26, and when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them. It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt... And spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. If you've had children or got grandchildren, I'm sure you'll know or be able to relate to this, but they love to ask questions, don't they? And when they get to a certain age, all they ever seem to ask is, why? And when they get to a teenage age, that, for me, that was always, why? Why should I do it? Whatever. Whatever. But children are always asking that question, why? Why do that? Why do you have to walk here? Why do you have to eat that? Why, 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 why? About everything. And Moses is saying, when your children ask you why you do this every year, why do you have a lamb stay for four days? Why then do you kill it? Tell them. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. It was an annual reminder of God's saving grace to his people. And they're to remember by celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For the week following the Passover, they're to have no yeast in their houses and they're not to eat anything with yeast in it. And why are they to remember this way? Verse 17. Because it was on this day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. They had to leave in a hurry. They had to eat in haste. They didn't have time to wait for the dough for the bread to rise. And then in verse thirty-nine, with the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to Food for themselves. They did it to remind themselves of what God did for his people in bringing them out of Egypt. Well, we don't celebrate the Passover like this anymore because there's no need. That was the old. The thing that we have to remember what God has done for us now is found as we share together in the bread and wine, it's found in the Lord's Supper. So when our children ask us, why do we eat bread and drink wine together? Well, we'll tell them. It's to remind us of what God has done for us through his son Jesus. And as I was preparing this week, I was thinking, how does the lamb and the bread fit together? What's the significance of the bread? We, we know what the lamb is. That brings salvation. It reminds us of God forgiving our sins. But what's the significance of the bread without yeast? What's the connection? Well, I think it's this. We're saved for a purpose. The Passover is about us getting saved. The Feast of Unleavened Bread reminds us what God wants us to do once we are saved. He wants us to live godly lives. It's seeking to remove sin from our lives. Yeast, like sin, grows and spreads. We make dough sometimes with the children and they love seeing how a little bowl of dough with yeast in it grows and fills the bowl and is overflowing. You start with a little... But it grows and spreads right the door. And that's exactly what sin does. And I wonder whether that's the picture that we're being shown here. God has saved his people. He's rescued them. But what he wants them to do is sweep away the sin in their lives. That's what they would do during this week. They would go through the house. They would pull the cupboards out and sweep everywhere to make sure that there was no speck of yeast. Within the house, Paul helps us with this in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6 to 8. He says, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new, unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival. Not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. When God saves us, He wants us then to sweep away the sin in our lives. Before it has a chance to grow. Even small sin is dangerous because like yeast it will spread. And as sinners, we are constantly, or we're to be constantly seeking, as saved sinners, we're to be constantly seeking the sin in our lives and looking to sweep it away. So have we become tolerant of certain sin within our lives? Are there private sins that we need to rid ourselves of? Maybe it's a small sin that we think, well, it's it's okay because it's only a small sin. Well, sin grows quickly. So let us be people who are seeking to sweep away sin for the glory of God. And this is the great thing about being a Christian, about being a saved sinner, is that we don't have to rely on our own strength to remove the sin within our lives. God gives us his spirit which helps us recognise sin and seek to remove it. So to finish with, never forget that we are sinners who have been saved by the grace of God. He provided the perfect lamb to take our place Jesus the lamb of God so that we could be forgiven if we put our faith and trust in him and through him we're set free set free from sin and never forget the reason we're saved we're saved to serve our living God seeking to live godly lives that please him, seeking to remove the sin in our lives and doing it in God's strength. And let me finish with this. What did the people do? How did they respond to what God had done? Verse 27, the end of it. Well, let me read the whole verse. It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spurred our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then, the people bowed down and worshipped. What other response could there be to what God has done for his people than to bow down and worship him? Let's pray together.